y'all this morning. Welcome to Island Community Church. I'm Barrett, uh, one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time here this morning, we welcome you especially. Hope you feel at home this morning. It is great to be together. Amen. It is just good to be together this morning. We are a community of faith. We love Jesus Christ because, as Galatians 2 said, I'm meditating on this morning, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And because he lives, I live. And I am so thankful and forever indebted to him. We just are a community of faith in Jesus. And we come together on Sundays to worship him, to study God's word, and to fellowship together. So we are just so glad you're here this morning. We're in the middle of a series called Let's Talk About Life. We do aim here at ICC to study the word of God and to find its implications for everyday life. And we're in the middle of studying the Gospel of Luke. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke for about the past year, and we should be done by 2016 is what I'm kind of projecting. And uh, so just strap your seatbelt in. It's a good time. We just go through books of the Bible here. We're not in a big hurry because it's all God's Word, and we want to understand what God's Word means, especially as it relates to us in our everyday life. We've been in the middle of Luke 17 as Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem and teaching his disciples, teaching those that are gathering around him, those that are following him, about what it looks like to know him and to trust him in your everyday life. The gospel, I've said this over and over, Jesus, his love for you, the message of the gospel, which is that Christ loved you, that he gave his life for you so that you might live through him. This is an everyday life thing. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a once a week thing. It's not a 10 minute in the morning thing. It's an everyday, every moment thing. The gospel, the fact that Christ loves us and gave himself for us, this is the air we breathe. This is how we inhale and exhale. This is our life. So the gospel meets us in our everyday life. And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. This morning, um, we're going to hit a topic that I think is, I know it's near and dear to, well, maybe not dear. It's, it hits home in my life. And I think if you're honest this morning, it will hit home in your life. It's not the word that I'm bringing, it's the word that we're getting to that Jesus is bringing to us today. But what we're going to be dealing with this morning is the topic of pride. Pride is something that I believe is one of the greatest obstacles in our world today to faith in God and to living for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is sinful, it is subtle. It comes in the form of arrogance. It comes in the form of self-apathy. An over-focus of self. It's even encouraged in our world today. Parents teach their children very young. Pride is something that we, it's almost like we celebrate it in our Western culture, and it's celebrated across the world. It's deadly. The book of Proverbs says that pride goes before the fall. And at the root of pride is essentially unbelief. When you find pride, you find a lack of faith in God. I struggle with it. I find sometimes it's, it's like a, a curled up snake just sitting there waiting to strike me with its poison. I see other people around me struggle with it especially in circles of academia, which is a lot of the circles in this downtown area, and circles of professionalism. I see it. And I think if you're honest with yourself this morning, you might admit that you see it even in you. 
An overabundance of self. Pride. So we're going to be talking about this, that this morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to see what Jesus says to us as it relates to this topic of pride. Luke chapter 17. If you've got your Bibles or your iPhone, uh, your, whatever you use for your Bible, uh, take it out. Luke chapter 17. We're going to start with verse 5 because the context is going to be important to us this morning. And uh, this is where we studied last week, verses 5 and 6. And we'll continue reading through verse 10. I'm reading out of the ESV. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. (coughs) Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and, and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and, and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we just acknowledge right now that we are sinners. Lord, that in our heart, Lord, so much disease has overtaken us. Lord, our hearts aren't what they were designed to be. And Lord, we have misplaced you in so many areas of our life. We have turned to other things to find satisfaction in other things when we were meant to find satisfaction in you. And we especially admit this morning, Lord, that it is our tendency, our sin, our unbelief that so often we turn to ourselves and look for satisfaction there. We turn to what other people think of us, what others say of us, Lord. We turn to our accomplishments and our positions, Lord, and we make those our cause for boasting rather than you. And Lord, this morning we just ask that you and your Holy Spirit would expose pride for what it is, sinful, costly, deadly, unbelieving. Lord, and we ask that you would root it out of our hearts, that you would take it up, remove it, Lord. We repent and we turn toward you. Teach us this morning what it looks to walk in humility. For your sake, we pray it. Amen. How is it possible to deal with this thing called pride that so many of us struggle with? The answer is to walk in humility. Everybody say the word humility with me. Humility. What's the answer to the struggle with pride? Turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them, walk in humility, all right? All right, one of you ask the question, then one of you answer it. Just try it. Just do it back and forth there for a second. What's, what, how, what's the answer to struggle with pride? The other one say, walk in humility. <laughs> Maintaining humility is vital if you desire to sustain and maintain your faith and to see any fruitfulness from your life for the glory of God. Maintaining humility is vital for sustained faith and fruitfulness in your life. Without humility, without humility, 
it is impossible to know God and to see God do anything through you. If you want your life to count, if you want your life to have a purpose, is at the end of the day when that tombstone gets laid over your body and you want people to stand there and say, that person made a difference. I'll tell you where it starts. Humility before God and others. This morning we're going to look at what Jesus says about humility. I told you the context was important. We read just then, we're going to study verses 7 through 10 this morning. But um, I want you to think back to verses 5 and 6. If, if you've got your Bible, you can see those verses there. We studied these last week. Jesus has just gotten finished teaching his disciples about what it means to have a pure heart before God, to have a life that's devoted to the Lord Jesus, surrendered to him in every way. And he got finished teaching with all that. And it, it, the things that Jesus says for us to do are absolutely impossible for us to do on our own. Y'all ever feel that way? You get to Jesus' teaching and you just hear what he says and you hear how he's calling you to live and you go, oh, help me. I have no clue how to do this. And in fact, Jesus knows that about you. He never said that you could do those things on your own. The only way that you can obey Jesus is through his power and through his spirit living out through you. That's the only way to do the things that he's commanded. And The disciples get a wind of that, and that's where in verse 5, you see it there in your Bible? What do they say? Lord, increase our faith. Because they know the answer to obedience is not trying harder, it's greater dependency and surrender on the Lord. That's the answer to obedience, is turning to Him, finding more strength in Him, more power through Him, asking for Him to do the impossible through you. And then Jesus turns around and answers them. He acknowledges that, yes, their faith needed increasing. And what does he say back there in verse 6? I tell you, you're right, you need faith. And in fact, if you just had faith the size of this little mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it will obey you. essentially, Essentially what he's saying is, you're right, you need faith. And if you had faith, which you do need faith, If you would just trust God, you would see God do the impossible through you. Now, think about this. Jesus is saying that if we trust Him and if we walk with Him, that we will see Him do amazing, great things through us. He's standing there with the disciples and He's saying, if you will just trust me, you will see the power of God unleashed through your life like you've never seen before. And in fact, after Jesus went to that cross to lay down his life for us, taking the punishment for your sins and for mine, for those who would believe in him, after he went to that cross, he was buried, and after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, what did those very disciples that he was standing with here in Luke 17, what did they begin to see? Oh, they trusted him, didn't they? They, We see him there in Acts, all throughout the book of Acts. Acts is marked by one thing consistently through the whole book, and that is prayer, dependency on the Holy Spirit. All the time they're calling out to God, Oh, Lord, Lord, won't you do the impossible through us? Won't you come? Won't you put your glory down on this place so that others might see you for who you are? Lord, might you... Come and inhabit our lips, inhabit our times of prayer, inhabit our people so that the world might see that you are great. And did the world see that Jesus was great? 
Absolutely. There in the first chapters of Acts, you see these same disciples who he's saying, if you'll just trust me a little bit, you'll see the impossible happen. Then the impossible did begin to happen. Their tongues lit on fire. People from every language hearing the gospel in their own native tongue. Peter and John taking a man who could not walk, touching him by their hand, and the man begins to walk. The impossible begins to happen. God's power begins to be revealed. And it's all happening through their hands. Same thing can happen in your life. You trust God. You'll see God doing things on your behalf that you could never do on your own. Have y'all seen things like that before in your own life? Let me just get a witness, say, yeah, or something. Yeah. When you begin to take steps of faith and put your confidence in God, you'll begin to see Him do the impossible through you. Things in your heart that you never think you find healness in, God begins to heal. People that you, be, you think will never soften, they will never reconcile with you. They will never turn to the Lord to be saved. Over time, after constant prayer and dependency on the Lord, calling out to Him on their behalf, what do you see God do? You see Him do the impossible through them. Some of you in this room have prayed for jobs and you've gotten them. You've prayed for school and you've gotten them. Things that, you, if you just step out on faith and you trust God, God will do things for you. The disciples are about to see it. We ourselves see it. But the thing Jesus knows about all of us and all of those disciples he was standing around that day was that as soon as you start to see amazing things happen in your life through the power of God, something comes knocking at your door. And that something is called pride. And he knows what sometimes we don't know. And that is that sometimes the work of God, you can be easily taken into your own hands and you begin to become proud and arrogant and boastful in those things as if you had done them and not God. And if you're not careful, it'll happen to you. Nobody can say it won't. It happens And so Jesus comes in on the heels of his saying, the power of God will be unleashed through your life if you trust him. On the heels of that, he comes in and begins with verse 7. Now I want you to look at verse 7. In any of your Bibles, does it have the word and or but at the beginning of it? Okay, we have one person said but. In my translation, it doesn't have it. It should have it. If, If your Bible doesn't say and or but... At the start of verse 7, they just missed it, and it's a sad miss. In the Greek, there's a little word called de, and it's there, and it means but. It links verses 5 and 6 with verses 7 through 10, and sometimes in English we just miss little things like that, and that's why you got me to point it out to you. There's a link here. There's a link here. He's saying, if you will trust me, if you had faith like the size of mustard seed, you'd see the impossible happen through your life, but... And then he continues with verse 7 through 10. You've got to understand the context. He's saying this in response to what he had just said. And so let's look back at the story. Let's read it one more time, and then we'll unpack it. But will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once 
and recline at table? Will he rather, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are but unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. There are two main points to this story. It's just, it's a very simple little story, right? We like simple stories. There are two simple points to this story. Somebody just say, amen. Barrett only has two points today. <laughs> Last week he had eight. Now he has two. This is just great. Why are y'all laughing? That's not funny. <laughs> two simple points to this story. I want to tell you the two points, and then I want to unpack them, and then we'll wrap this up. First point is this. I'll, we'll go ahead and show you both of them. If you want to maintain humility for faith and fruitfulness in your life, you need to understand these two things What Jesus is pointing out in this story. First of all, you need to understand this. You owe everything to your master. I want you to write these down. There's space on your bulletin. If you're at home listening online, just take something out and write it down. Please, I ask you, you'll learn this way. And you'll be able to teach others. You know, when you study scripture... You don't come just to sit and soak, just to enjoy it in your own life, although that is part of it. It should work itself out in your own life. Part of your responsibility when you learn Scripture is to teach it to others. So I hope you're always learning Scripture for your own life, but turning around and teaching it to others. That's part of why I would like you to write these down. Two main points of this story. First, you owe everything to your master. And second, your master owes nothing to you. To maintain humility in life, you must recognize that first, you owe everything to your master. And second, that your master owes nothing to you. Let's look back at the story. What's the story about? We're going to start with point one. You owe everything to your master. Everybody say this with me real quick. You owe everything to your master. What's the point of the story? What, who are the characters? Excuse me. Indigestion. I ate a donut this morning. Who are the characters? You've got a servant and his master. Now, it's really interesting. You, you see there in verse 7, well, any of you who has a servant. Um, in the Greek, and, and this is not meant to be a Greek lesson today, it just happens to be that this passage is full of illustrations that actually mean something in the Greek. In the Greek, this word servant is doulos. Now, we kind of lose the meaning again when you translate it to English because we think servant, you know, maybe it's the cashier at Mickey D's, all right? Somebody who's hired or, you know, just an employee for hire. That's not the real meaning of this word. And we kind of soften it a little bit because especially of all of the negative connotations that the real word has when you translate it into English, which is slave. It's bond servant. It's more than a cashier for hire. It's someone who's sold themselves, and now they are completely owned by their master. This word servant is actually bond servant or slave. Now, I don't mean slave in the sense that all the negative American connotation and worldwide connotation, that is a, it is a sin. It is a sin and atrocity what happened in our past. And I'm thankful for people who have stood up and called it out for what it is and repented of it. Amen? But we do see in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 12, this, this idea of bondservanthood, of slavery. But the difference in the, in the Bible here, you see it, it's people who have willingly, willingly sold themselves to another 
to be their bondservant. They have chosen to sell themselves to someone else to become basically like the, it's hard for us to even think about this, but like the property of another, where you're entrusting yourself into their care such that you belong to them, but they've also committed to you, to your good. And so your everything belongs to them. I mean everything. Your work, your productivity, your your productivity, your time, your family, your food, everything is supplied by your master and all that you do is his. You're taken care of, but you have sold yourself into this arrangement where you literally become an indentured servant, a, a, a kind of slave. And so Jesus here is talking about one who is like this, a doulos. That's the only meaning for it. He's saying, look, here's this guy who's sold himself to his master. He's got a master. He's sold himself to his master. And what's the question that he asks? Look there in verse 7. Will any of you who has a slave, plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and while I drink? Jesus is asking, in Jesus' day, this would have been a laughable question. We kind of lose it. It's a rhetorical, laughable question. Which one of you who has a servant like this, when he comes in from the day, you're going to say, all right, well, let me serve you now. No. That doesn't happen. That's not the role. That's not the relationship between the master and the bondservant. It's not it. It's an absurd question. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no, you're not going to do that. Instead, what you're going to do is have him continue out his duties. Now, this is one busy guy, right? I mean, look, look, look at what this guy's doing. He's plowing. He's keeping the sheep. He's cooking. He's like a jack of all trades. It's like me when Michelle's on these 30-hour shifts or whatever. And at hour 28, I realize she's coming back home in two hours. And I'm like, oh, no. I didn't do anything she asked me to do in the last 30 hours. What am I doing in my life? And I go around just like crazy. This is this, this impression of this guy. He's a busy guy. He's a bond servant. He's doing all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, when he comes in, should the, should the master just be, oh, you just stop doing what I've asked you to do? No, that's his job. That's his role. His role is to serve his master. That's the role that he's been assigned. And it doesn't matter how busy he is, his whole role, he has chosen to sell himself away such that everything belongs to his master. His master's providing everything for him. His all belongs to him. You see what I'm saying? Now, the correlation here. You and I are bondservants of Jesus Christ. I want to show you some scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The idea is this. Don't read too far ahead. You were in a pit of sin, left to do nothing but die, helpless, helpless, there in the miry clay, by your own choosing. 
not deserving anything. But God through Christ came to you, paid the money that was necessary to buy you out of that pit of sin. He paid the price and He paid it with His own body. And because He has bought you now with a price, His own body, and because you, by your own choice, have chosen to give yourself to Him through your repentance and your faith and your surrender, now you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You are a bondservant of Jesus if you've given yourself to Him. Therefore, glorify God with your body. This is not a new concept in the New Testament. Peter, Paul, James, John, all of them got this. They begin their letters over and over and over and over. If you just look through the epistles and look at verse 1 of all the epistles, almost all of them, over and over, Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Peter, a doulos of Jesus Christ. I am John, a doulos of Jesus Christ. They are saying their whole identity is wrapped up in the fact that they have been bought with a price and they are now a bondservant. They're a slave to Jesus Christ. Before they are nothing and after they are nothing, if there's anything good out of their life, it's because of the grace of God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this. Talking about you. What did you have that you did not receive? If then you have received it, then why do you boast if you have not received it? Now, my parents are here today, and it's a great honor to have them here. But, and I'm not just saying this because they're here. But, think about how stupid it would be for me to boast in the things that my parents provided me growing up. The education. The clothes. The car. Even the weekly allowance all through college, and I went to college much longer than I should have. Imagine if I were to take all of those grace gifts and begin to boast in them as if I had been the one to buy that car, that I was the one that was financing that education, that I was the one that was bringing in the bacon so I could go and have a movie with my friends. On I didn't really spend my money on that. On Friday nights. (laughs) How foolish would that be? But yet so often in our life, how foolish are we when we begin to boast in things that we have received by the grace of God? It's not by our own power. It's by God's grace that we have what we have. Thus, why do we boast as if we had not received it as a gift? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of your own doing. Not as a result of works. Why? What's the answer? So that no one can boast. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. 
so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a very simple concept that Jesus is trying to point us to here in this story. You owe everything to your master. Which one of you in the room today would like to just raise your hand and take credit for your life, for the fact that you were born, for the fact that you grew up the way that you grew up, had the provisions that you needed, had the help that you needed, had the education that you needed? Who wants to raise their hand and boast about anything that they have today? But sometimes we do, don't we? What I'm saying is, what do you have that you have not first received? Let, if, if you're going to boast, let me tell you, I'm going to give you permission to boast this morning. But here's the condition. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Because apart from Him, you have nothing. And by, if it were not for His grace, I'm just telling you, whether you recognize it today or not, if it were not for His grace, I don't know where you'd be. And I don't know where I'd be. If God were to remove His hand from this world and from your life, you don't even want to know what it would look like. And if for nothing else that you can be happy about, God loved you and sent His Son to die for you, and in that, you can boast. Because He saved your soul from death. Amen? You owe everything to your master. It's the first step to understanding humility. If you don't understand this, you will never live humbly. If you don't believe this from the core of your heart, I don't just mean write it down and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I owe everything to my master. Good job, Barrett. No. From the core of your being, if you don't understand and realize and sit in the presence of the Almighty God with a recognition that you are nothing and you would be nothing if it weren't for the fact that He's made you something. If that is not real to you, you will always struggle with pride. The way to live in humility is to live in the presence of God. If you live continually in His presence, always giving Him thanks, realizing what He's done, you'll have no problem in humility. You won't have to work at it. It'll be the natural overflow of your time with God because you'll realize that He is and you are not. See what I'm saying? All right, we've got to move on. First point, what is it? You owe everything to your master. Second point is this. Your master owes nothing to you. Look back at Scripture, Luke chapter 17, verse 9. Jesus goes on with his story. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are but unworthy servants. We have only done 
what was our duty. Again, Jesus is being funny here. He's being really funny. Jesus is a funny guy. I think he's likable. I would have loved to hang around him. And one day I will be hanging around him, and I can't wait. He's got a sense of humor. And I like that because I'm kind of quirky. So Jesus says this. He's asking another funny question. So your bondservant comes in from the field, and he's done the things that you've asked him to do. You going to sit down and write him a thank you letter? Thank you so much. Some of you guys are employers in this room. Will you sit down and write your employees thank you letters at the end of every day because they did the things that you asked them to do? Of course not. Now, you can commend them, but to thank them is not something that they should expect, right? It was part of their what? Their duty, of their role, the role that they had willingly chosen to accept at the terms of the engagement. Of course not. I remember, here's another story because my parents are here. Here's another story for you. When I was a teenager, it was more of a pre-teenager. I was very immature. I know that's hard for you guys to believe, but it just was. You were too, probably. My mom would ask me to take out the trash. We had chores in our house. Taking out the trash was one of mine. Barrett, will you take out the trash? Ladies, I'm going to let you into something. Guys, you're going to hate me. Guys have selective hearing. When we tell you we don't hear things, we usually hear it. We just choose not to hear it. I did selective hearing. Mom didn't say that. I like what I'm doing more. Barrett, will you take out the trash? Barrett, will you take out the trash? And eventually rises to the voice that I, I still hear in my sleep sometimes. <laughs> Barrett, Barrett, Brian Bowden, will you take out the trash? Finally, I go take out the trash and I come in. And immediately I want mom to say, what? Thank you so much for taking out the trash. Why don't you go play your Nintendo for the next two hours instead of doing homework? <laughs> you know, I want a reward for doing the thing that I begrudgingly did. Isn't that how we so often are? It's just so stupid. And if you're not careful, this is how you can be with the Lord. It's, it's, a stu- it's a funny question Jesus is asking. When you come back in, do you expect to be thanked? Do you expect to added blessing, some added privilege just because you've done the things that you agreed to do, the things that you were commanded to do, the things you were obligated to do because you were bought with a price? Of course you shouldn't expect that. It should not be expected. And yet we find ourselves so often in a place where we almost obligate God to things because we have been faithful. And if you're not careful in your own life, you'll, you'll begin to start almost like bargaining with God. God, I did this, so you have to do this. Like you put a quarter in and you get something out. I've been faithful. I've been a prayer warrior. I've been depending on you. I've served you. I've done, uh, I, 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 I. And you come in from doing the things that God has asked you to do and assigned for you to do, and you, you realize that in those moments, you, your, your motivation wasn't just for God. Your motivation for, is what for what you could get out of God. It's like the older brother in Luke 15, that parable of the prodigal son where he found his heart was revealed. He wasn't truly loving the Father for the Father. He was loving the Father for what he would give him. And at the end of the day, he didn't enjoy the party, the celebration of grace. You need to be careful. By your obedience, you do not put God in any obligation to you. You understand this? He's worthy of your obedience, no matter what he chooses to do after it. 
You serve God because he's God. You obey God because he's God. You worship God because he's God. And he, you're, you owe that to him. This is our responsibility as creatures to our creator. This is our role. You don't put him in any obligation to you. I want you to see a few scriptures. First from Job. Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you're in the right? Or is it gain to him that if you make your ways blameless? It's rhetorical questions. No, it's the answer. Romans eleven twenty five, Or who has given a gift to him, being God, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Acts 17.25 God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. For he himself gives to mankind life and breath and everything. This is what Jesus says here in the last verse that we will study today. Verse 10. He says that after we have obeyed God, even in our thinking, obeyed Him perfectly, which none of us do. He says here in 10, So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, We are but unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The word unworthy here could be better translated unprofitable. By, it's, it's not that God doesn't delight in your obedience, but you haven't, done, you haven't added anything to God by the fact that you obeyed. You haven't given him any gift that he should have to repay you. Because in God is life and breath and everything. There's nothing you can do to add to God. So how do you expect to be repaid from God? That's not why we worship. That's not why we serve. We serve because he's God. Because he's bought our life with a price and therefore we are his. Y'all tracking with me? Our master owes nothing to us. Your master owes nothing to you. You owe everything to him, but he owes nothing to you. We need to get rid of the attitude of entitlement. And some of you guys today are struggling with things that you've been praying about. And I'm telling you, I have a... I have a conviction that some of us are struggling that we feel entitled to certain things from God. You are not entitled to anything from God. God chooses to give grace gifts. That is true. But they're gifts. They're gifts. You're not entitled to anything from God. When He chooses to give, when He chooses to bless, when He chooses to do for you, It is by His own sovereign good pleasure. If you realize who He is and who you are as an indebted servant, humility will be a natural outflow of your life. You shouldn't expect praise from Him. And let me tell you this also. Be careful about expecting praise from other people. Sometimes not only do we want Him to applaud us when we come home, We want others to do the same, and we get frustrated and agitated when others don't recognize us and what we're doing and who we are and all that we're about. It's not about them either. It's about Him. Y'all ever been to a symphony down here at the Cannon Center? 
cheap tickets. I recommend you go. The lady that is the conductor now came from Atlanta, which I think is really cool because I'm from Atlanta. Symphony is great. I want to tell you about Symphony, though. I think I was, there's a picture I want to show you. Yeah. It's almost like God has assigned you a role here in the symphony. And here you are down here in a chair. You've got a part to play. He's given you the instrument that you're playing it with. He's given you the chair. He's put you in a position where you've got a part to play in this symphony that is his. He's the conductor. The reality is you should play your part as good as you can play it. It doesn't matter if this audience stands up and applauds at the end of the show. It doesn't matter if your peers there on stage afterwards come and say, well done, that's the best I've ever heard that played. It doesn't matter if the conductor pays you, recognizes you, has everybody stand up to applaud for you. It doesn't matter. You're there and you should desire to play your part because the conductor has assigned it to you and because he's worthy of your all. Amen? There's no room for pride in the life of those who follow and know Jesus. We must live in humility. And to live in humility, you must understand these two things. First, that you owe your master everything. And second, that he owes nothing to you. At the end of your day, can you say what Jesus has asked you to say? I'm but an unworthy servant. I've only done what is my duty. I know one thing about your life. You're going to see great things happen from God. I believe it. You're going to see God do great things through you as you continue to trust Him. The one thing I don't know about your life is how your heart responds to those great things when they come. Are you in a position of pride? Are you in a position of humility? I pray for the glory of Christ and for your good that you will stay humble before the Lord. For everything is owed to Him and nothing is owed to us. It is by His grace that we have been saved and that we are what we are. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for the reminder that You are great and, Lord, that all of life is owing to You. We praise your name this morning, and Lord, our greatest need in life is just to sit in your presence, to realize how great you are, to realize that you are the giver of all good things, to realize that if it weren't for you and your goodness and your grace and your love in our life, Lord, that we would be nothing and we would have nothing. Give us awareness of who we truly are. Give us awareness of your grace. Give us awareness of your love, God. Help us to sit in your presence every day to understand what you've done for us, Jesus, so that we might have the proper response, which is one of humility and gratitude and total just worship for who you are. God, we repent of our pride this morning. We lay it down. We acknowledge it as sin, Lord. How can we divert attention to ourselves, Lord, when you have done so much? How can we expect the applause when you're the one that deserves the applause? Oh, Lord, we repent of our pride and we ask for faith. We ask that you would give us your heart of humility, the heart of humility, Jesus, that led you to the cross 
to a point of death, and not just any death, death on a cross, the most humiliating form of death. Jesus, this is your heart. Give us your heart. Holy Spirit, take over in our hearts. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.